You're listening to WKXL in the Morning. I'm your host, A.J. Kirsten. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with our friends at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the Morning every Friday. And this week, I'm joined by reporter Amanda Goki. Welcome back. Hey, A.J. So let's start off with something uh, a little more lighthearted than I often get to cover. Apparently, uh, squirrel hunting season has received an adjustment in the legislature. We've had so many... uh, very intense things up for uh, debate at the legislature these last few weeks. So this is, uh, I'm sure uh, some environmentalists might not be happy about this, but it's, it's a little rednecky and I wanted to chat about it. Yeah, this definitely feels like a very New Hampshire story. So this bill went through a pretty dramatic rewrite from the way it was introduced. It was introduced by Representative Amanda Bolden, a Democrat who was basically looking to protect baby squirrels and push back the start of squirrel hunting season um, by two weeks. So her her perspective and her take was that, you know, these baby squirrels were getting orphaned um, if hunters were coming in and shooting the moms. And so she wanted to introduce this piece of legislation to help alleviate that problem. But in the Republican majority um, committee, it actually got went through sort of a 180 degree reversal and it became a proposal to do away with the hunting season for squirrels entirely and to allow folks to hunt squirrels year round. Um, So that definitely did draw some criticism from environmentalists and animal rights folks, um, activists who who were hoping that this would be an increased protection for gray squirrels. But the committee had heard from um, you know, folks who worked in work in maple industry, just about the damage that uh, these gray squirrels are doing on their maple lines and things of that nature. So that, that was a little bit about where this radical change came from. I mean, anecdotally, I just just living around Concord, the population around here has just been off the rails. I remember was it three years ago we had that issue where it was basically a squirrel genocide every time you go down the road there's just dead squirrels everywhere because they had that massive population boom that happened i mean that i'm wondering if there's a long-term impact from that yeah absolutely that actually came up in the hearing as well so it was 2018 and there had been a couple years where beach and acorn Um, nuts had been really, really available for squirrels. And so as a result, there was this peak in the population. But what happened in 2018 was those food sources weren't as readily available. And so the squirrels were sort of moving around looking for other food sources. And as a result, we saw what you just described, this this mass mortality event. Um, And so the biologist from the um, New Hampshire Department of Fish and Game, te- in his testimony, he touched on this. Um, and he was really saying that squirrel populations are much more, what we see is that they're much more influenced by by things like that, by how available mm-hmm. food is, and less so by hunting seasons, just because- it, It's um, not like a moose, where, where there's only so many of them. They're very highly valued. I mean, a lot of times when people are hunting squirrels, it's A, out of necessity, and B, out of nuisance. And I think, too, it's not it's not a species that there's a huge amount of of people looking to to hunt them. This is what Mm -hmm. the biologist with Fish and Game was was saying, is that the pressure on the the species from hunters is is relatively low compared to um, to other species that you might have more. It's it's, you know, maybe more of a trophy type species that people go out and and really are sought after. and, And that's not necessarily the case with the gray squirrel. 
Yeah, you got to be a lot more careful with those those larger uh, fauna that you see in the New Hampshire forest because their their populations are very attached to the ecosystem that they're in. If they're a overpopulated or overhunted by predators, or if there are the hunters in turn need to be hunt predators in turn need to be hunted like coyotes and such. I mean that's very closely monitored by Fish and Game. So oh, interesting to see what happens with that if it continues on. Um, continuing on with some uh, more environmental uh, news that you covered the it seems like there's been an issue with contaminated water. Yeah, so Merrimack County has been dealing with this issue. It's really been a long saga um, since they discovered that there was a, a, a class of chemical called PFAS is, had contaminated hundreds of private wells um, in, in Merrimack, and that was linked to St. Gobain. Um, this was in back in 2016, but recently, um, just at the end of last year, the state released a report which found a 42% higher incidence of kidney cancer in, in Merrimack than what they anticipated. Um, and so that was a signal to the state um, that this was something worth looking into. And so now, you know, residents in that area are really grappling with um, with their health questions and, and how exactly the presence of this chemical in the water has, you know, affected their risk for certain types of cancer and for other health conditions as well. And you spoke to someone who was is a patient, a cancer patient that believes that she 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 got cancer from this uh, contamination that was going on. That has to be a really uh, hard thing for people to track down. If you no longer live in that community like this individual does to figure out, oh, it was maybe because of this time I spent in this other area, possibly decades ago. Yeah. So this was a woman named Carol Williams. She had lived in Bedford, actually. So just across the town line from Merrimack, close to the town line, but just across it. Um, and she had lived there for 36 years. She, you know, was otherwise, you know, for many years, she was really healthy. She was a avid runner. She didn't have sort of the normal um, risk factors. Um, kidney cancer is more common in men than women. Um, it's common in people who are overweight. Um, but she said, you know, as a runner, she was she was drinking a lot of this water. So when she learned about the contamination in the well water and later learned that her well at her house had tested for this uh, presence of this chemical, the PFAS chemical, um, it raised a concern for her. And for her in her mind, it was very clearly linked to the presence of this chemical. Um, but, you know, I should say both the state and the epidemic epidemiologist that I interviewed for the story, you know, the bar for proving causality for saying it is this one thing that caused a specific cancer, that's a really high, high bar to meet. And, and the science isn't isn't there yet. There's been some small scale studies. I spoke with an epidemiologist who had done a study of about 70,000 people in West Virginia who had been exposed to much higher levels of PFAS. Um, and they had found a link in that case. But um, Basically, the, the take from scientists and from the state was more research is needed before we can draw those those conclusions. Yeah, it's it takes so long for the for the research to take place. A on you guys, a you got to find that there was a contamination because many companies a didn't know it happened or b were negligent on it, just didn't want to didn't want to deal with the fallout of cleaning it up because there is considerable expense and considerable liability. Also, if for example with this where where it's being caught, I mean, um, have they tracked it down to a specific organization that is responsible for this leak? Yeah, so some of the private wells have been linked to St. Gobain and they're sort of a, they're a it's a plant and they are using this chemical PFAS in producing um, materials. So PFAS is used in things like um, 
Teflon, like sort of it's, it's water resistant. So you'll find it in certain fabrics and they use it for um, things like coverings for a sports field, for example, because it can repel that water. Um, so they're producing that there. And that link has been, has been found this was back in 2018, the state reached an agreement. So St. Cobain has taken responsibility for a certain area, which is called the consent decree area um, right around the plant. But there are wells that have been impacted beyond beyond the confines of that area as, as well. And, and that's where it becomes a little more difficult to draw the connections. But um, advocates are really saying, you know, DES, the Department of Environmental Services, they've done mapping of air pollution, water pollution. Um, and so they should look at that area of exposure when they're talking about where the incidence of cancer is higher, as opposed to looking town by town. Um, because if you look, you know, Bedford's a big town. So if you're looking at that incidence spread out across the whole town, you could potentially miss something that would otherwise raise a red flag. Any word on any civil lawsuits or anything like that from people who live in that area? I think there is some ongoing um, litigation. Um, the state is actually in an enforcement case right now with St. Gobain. Um, so they were required to install a... Um, it's it's sort of a, a stack because there's there's air that leaves the plant that has this chemical in it. So they basically had to put a treatment system um, that would burn off this chemical at a super high level. And the state said they found a bypass stack. So a stack that was allowing air to leave the, the plant untreated. Um, so that's currently with the attorney attorney general. Um, and so we'll see we'll see where that leads. Uh, what's it looking like for it looks like there's some new legislation that's being proposed to uh, maybe combat this going forward? Yeah, so there's there's a bunch of different proposals at this at this point. Um, there's they're looking at regulating the level of PFOS, how much PFOS um, is allowed in um, in groundwater and um, in soils. So basically that would help um, prevent the spread of this material. If you have a level established, a what they call a maximum contaminant level, um, you can help to identify and then take sort of action to, to clean up those areas that have been impacted. There was another bill um, introduced by Republican Representative Bill Boyd to actually ban the sale of products that contain PFAS. Um, that's that's obviously a pretty far far reaching ambitious proposal um, and there were some economic business concerns raised around that some of the um, other representatives I, I spoke with said that would be better handled at sort of a federal national level um, because it's it is a more ambitious um, look at yeah, look at stopping this at the source yeah you're gonna be just pushing them off to other other states which is it's not going to fix the problem whatsoever and we don't new hampshire doesn't want to be responsible for these pfas chemicals getting dumped into like especially down south or in the midwest or something like that where there's a lot more space more rural communities it's it, it's honestly i'd feel guilty as a new hampshire resident if, if that something like that happened so i i mean what anything else that we missed on that it's it, it's very it's very sad and it's it's very unfortunate and it's it's something where that we're not going to see the last of unfortunately just because of the way uh a lot of the the manufacturing that used to exist in in this part of the the states too and in, in new england i mean it's being personal story like my father died of cancer just a few years ago and 
hit all his sisters had breast cancer and they live next door to a, uh, a paper mill that was right right in town and uh, there, there's all this there's no like evidence or anything it's just really suspicious when something like that happens when other members of the family that didn't live there uh, don't have that happen to them yeah absolutely no i think that it's it's really difficult in the community and people really the sense that I got, everyone I really spoke to said, you know, we, we want answers. We want to understand why this is happening to our community because anecdotally they see loved ones um, going through various kinds of cancer. Um, and and so it's it's hard that the scientific process is, is so long. But um, I think what we'll see moving forward, it, it, it seemed my sense was that there's a lot of interest in this and that people in the community really want to um, give their information to the state so that they can pursue a more detailed study of this. And really what that looks like is getting into the particular instances of a case, right? So they have to look at, you know, there are other risk factors for things like these kinds of cancer we're talking about was the person a smoker were they overweight mm -hmm. what was their residential history how long had they been living in a, in a specific place and they've also heard i think as the word is getting out there's folks who have moved away and who maybe weren't counted because so the new hampshire has a um, cancer registry and if you're diagnosed in new hampshire then your your numbers are counting in that data but if you had moved away and then you received your cancer diagnosis even if you had spent you know 20 or 30 years of your life here, you might not be included in that. So um, those are sort of the next steps for this. And my sense was that people do want to move forward with that. They want to collaborate with the state and work with the state um, who's looking at potentially partnering with Dartmouth to do um, a fur further study on this on this matter, which hopefully could provide some of the answers that um, people are really desperate for. Moving on, we, we talked about this previously, but it looks like there's an update with regards to the New Hampshire Saves budget. Uh, first off, can you give a quick reminder on what New Hampshire Saves is before we dive into it? Absolutely. New Hampshire Saves is the state's energy efficiency program. They do things like rebates for energy efficient appliances and for things like weatherization. So making a home, um, basically it's, it's the one way that you can impact your heating bill, which I know a lot of people are feeling the crunch of that right now. It's, it's been cold and it's been really expensive. So weatherizing your house is one way of sort of making that heat, keeping it in the house as opposed to having it leak out. Um, so, these programs, there was a decision that the Public Utilities Commission made back in November. They, they really reduced the funding for these programs and it led to the utilities who run the NH Saves program essentially shutting down these programs, which already had long waiting lists. So people you know, were hoping to do a weatherization project ahead of the winter season. They weren't able to do that. Low income uh, projects were impacted as well. And today there was uh, a pretty significant decision, an another order out of the PUC, the Public Utilities Commission, um, essentially saying that the funding for these programs is going to be restored. So it's gonna continue at the levels that we saw for 2020 through 2021. Um, and this was the subject of, you know, there's been a lot of legal challenges to that decision, to that November decision. So the consumer advocate had appealed that decision before the New Hampshire Supreme Court. And essentially what they said today was they want to see how that process plays out and what agreement the Supreme Court is able to reach um, with the other people who have also filed appeals. Yeah, it's it's like prime territory for for. Um 
for the ju- judiciary stepping in and saying like you can't just take this benefit away. It's the thing with benefits when it comes to from for uh, for coming from the government. You you. If, as soon as they're in place, it's not just because of politics why they end up staying in place. It's you've set up people to be reliant on it and for a resource to be really important to their their bottom line with existing in especially New England with something like this. Like the gas prices are off the rails right now. They have been for uh, a solid year now, maybe a little more since, since that election. And uh, to to take away this very important thing that a helps that climate change is a huge uh factor when it comes to the democratic side of the aisle and for the republicans is just uh business wise it's there's a lot of business opportunities that can be uh taken up because of this funding that's available for companies to offer uh, efficiencies for houses exactly and i think there's on both sides of the business argument you know there's the contractors who are really deeply impacted by this and who spoke pretty compellingly about what this uncertainty has meant for them uh you know back around the new year and just saying how are we going to be able to keep our employees on you know when our whole business model is around this this program that's now completely in flux um and then on the flip side of that there's huge benefits for businesses who take advantage of these programs who use them it's the one lever that we have as far as you know with energy supply, it's a it's a global supply chain, and it, this is really the one lever that we can pull here in New Hampshire to impact um, how much we're paying for things like heating um, or electricity. And those bills, you know, we've we've seen and we've heard the reports of how that's impacting businesses around the state as well. And finally, you know, collectively, when we use less energy our rates actually can can go down because when there's lower demand for energy, we get to see and have the benefit of lower prices on it. So the way this program is designed is really, really to benefit all everybody who's paying into the system, whether you take advantage of the NH saves programs or or not, um, it, it should help um, help everybody. This is more something I'd harass Jeff, Jeff Feingold over at the bull, the uh, business review over. But I mean, from property value, I'd, I'd imagine it'd be a huge benefit to say, hey, we recently went through this and our house is going to save you a ton of money if you buy this property, this apartment building, things like that. I mean, this the the market will uh, will turn around here at some point, whether it's a bubble or a more natural decline in prices. We can hope for, for the latter, obviously. But um, if you're if you're looking to sell your house in another year or two, I mean, now's the time to begin looking at programs like that. Yeah, I think it's a huge draw in terms of, of looking at a house or even just looking for a business location for somebody yeah. to come into a, a space. They're healthier spaces, too. Your air quality is better. Like there's a lot of really compelling reasons that um, that these programs are 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 um, in place. Amanda Goki, reporter at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Thanks for having me, AJ.